Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of KidsUse.com. This week we have a special podcast. We recorded a live show in front of an audience of 100 mom and dad bloggers at the Type A Parent NYC Boot Camp Conference here in New York City on... What was last weekend? Now I have to actually like do math in my head of what the date was. I think it was August 1st. Um, So we're going to be playing that for you. It's a bit different of a podcast than you're used to in that it really is talking about the power of parents in terms of online influence, in terms of working with brands, but also following brands on social media and what that means as parents, as consumers, as people raising little consumers and how social media is impacting all that. So we hope you take a listen and let us know what you think. We'd love to do more live shows and we will be back with our regularly scheduled programming um, the next week. Check you out then. Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. I'm Rebecca Levy, co-founder of KidsViews.com. And this week, instead of being in our New York City studio, I am here live at the Type A NYC Boot Camp Conference. Everybody make some noise. They can hear that we actually have a live live audience um, of amazing influencers in the audience. And we are going to be recording this podcast today live, but we are going to be covering topics like we always do, which are relevant to our large um, mom and dad audience out there. And we're going to get started. We have with us today Amy Oztan from SelfishMom.com. Hi, Amy. Hello. We have Andrea Smith, of course, tech guru extraordinaire. Hello. Um, We have Nancy Friedman, also co-founder of KidsViews.com, joining us today. Hi. And Lance Sommerfeld, who has been on before from City Dads Group and NYC Dads Group. Hi, Lance. How's it going? (laughs) This is the voice of the dad joining us today. We're going to cover two topics, and then we're going to have a live Q&A with our audience. Our first topic today um, is about whether or not mom influencers and dad influencers are truly influential and what that means. So according to Media Post, 55% of active daily social media moms have bought a product because it was reviewed on a review blog which we think is a great statistic with a room full of influencers. But when I asked this question on Facebook, when I asked real life people as opposed to social media people, if they read blogs, if they followed brands on Facebook, um, I had a very mixed response. Many people saying they didn't read blogs, many people saying they only followed brands that they already loved on social media. Um, and didn't like when other brands were filling their news feed and liked people Actually, I think Ellen Gerstein said this. I'm going to embarrass her. I don't know if she's in the room. (laughs) She likes when there's a person behind the brand and not just brand uh, tweeting out as brand, which I thought was really interesting. So I'm going to throw that to my panel who have to balance readership and sponsored blog posts all the time. And how do you do that? Well, I know authenticity comes up all the time in this space, but how do you do that and entertain your readers um, and not sell out? It's it's a tough thing to balance, but I think that um, your readers know if you're writing about something that you're really enthusiastic about. Um, you, you can't really fake that. And uh, there are three things that I look at when I try to decide whether or not I'm going to take a sponsored post. Um, am I being paid? 
well, obviously if it's a sponsored post I am, but when a brand approaches me, am I being paid? Am I really interested in the topic? And will my readers really be interested in the topic? I need to have two of those in order to take it. So if it's just the most fascinating thing in the world for me and my readers, but I'm not getting paid, it's probably a yes. Um, if I'm not all that excited about it, but I know that my readers will be and I'm getting paid, I can do that too. You know, so it, it, it doesn't have to have everything. There just has to be enough in it for me and my readers to make it worthwhile. And then it comes out as authentic. For, for me, it, it comes back to why did I get into this in the first place? Um, is it financial? And it's not for me. Uh, that's certainly a nice perk to blogging and being an online influence. But I think it goes back to passion. So when you get pitches, I say no a hell of a lot more than I say yes. Um, probably 98 out of 100 pitches I say no to because it's not my wheelhouse, it's not something I'm passionate about, and it's not something I can be authentic about. So, you know, it's really finding a rhythm of only working with uh, a small amount of brands that you can uh, really just be yourself and your voice can be amplified because it's real and it's authentic. But Lance, have you ever gotten pushback from a reader who has said, why, why is this post on this site? Why, you know, this isn't what I come here for. What's this doing here? Yeah, I mean, we all have, we all have people who, uh, for some reason, they have nothing better to do with their time than to uh, put out some negativity to your website. And um, I do engage uh, in the comments and just say, hey, you know, this is, this is who I am and, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You don't want to read my blog anymore. Don't, don't come back. Thank you very much. You're a waste of my time and you're sucking out the, uh, the positive energy. And I think that on Kids Views where we do a mix of mostly not sponsored content that's submitted by kids um, and sponsored content that's still submitted and made for 100% by kids, um, what's always interesting to me is a question that we get from brands, and I would imagine just from parents who are watching the videos either on our site or when they see them on Amazon, is, um, well, how do I trust that kid because they got that thing for free? And my, our, you know, my answer always is, well, kids get everything for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it really doesn't matter. Um, and that, and there's nothing more authentic than a kid talking about something that they love or something that they got. And it's not always totally positive. And I think that um, that's an important piece to remember, too, that don't always be positive. If you find yourself writing sponsored posts that are 100% gushy and everything is perfect, no one's going to buy that. And if you're working with brands who want you to have an authentic voice and who want that authentic voice out there about their product, they don't think they're 100% perfect either. And they're going to appreciate that it's an authentic voice and authentic reaction to it that's not 100% gushy, not to be totally negative. but And we have that with the kids all the time. One of my favorite videos of all time is a kid playing with something, and it goes this thing that bounces around. And she's like, it's so amazing. And she clonks herself in the head. She goes, that happens. <laughs> and she just keeps on bouncing and hits herself in the head. But it's authentic. So like blogger hat aside, real parent hat, when you're in the playground, with your friends at drop-off, pick-up, whenever you are. The real discussions that happen in that playground, I always have friends saying, like, what app are you using? What's going for this? Not because I'm a blogger, but because that's how, it really is what moms talk about all the time, right? Moms have their phones out. They're comparing apps. They're talking about this stuff. How, as a parent, 
What are you looking for when you're online? Are you reading blogs? Are you following brands online? And if so, why? You know, I'll take the Jerry Maguire approach. I follow a, a very small amount of brands that I use, I believe in, and that makes a difference with our family. So, um, you know, I'll look at like a car seat that we, we use, and that's a brand that I want to work with. Um, and so when I'm on the playground and I'll have a conversation with another dad, hey, man, I got into a fender bender, um, you know, heading on to the FDR in New York City, and you say, well, you know, were the kids okay is obviously the first question, too. Like, what car seat do you use? Um, and this, you know, it's the same, and then it, trend, it, it goes into, well, you know, when you travel with your kids, you take a car seat. Do you get one of those shitty car seats from the rental agency? Um, oh, you just got us an explicit You know, that's, that's, that's been part of a, uh, that's been part of like a, a pile of, of, of cheap car seats, and, and you talk about car seat safety. But these are the organic conversations that are happening on the playground. The throes of potty training and, and what products to use and how'd you get there. Um, so even though we're influencers kind of online, uh, these same conversations happen offline, which, you know, that's what we do. We're, we're City Dads Group. We're a bunch of dads who have a huge online presence, but the goal is meeting up and getting together with dads face to face. So these, these are the conversations that are not at the water cooler in the workplace, but that are happening in, you know, in the park or on the corner of the playground. I did a little research, because I like statistics, um, before we did the panel about why parents do follow brands on social media. And the overwhelming majority, I think it was somewhere, I want to say 68%, um, say that the number one reason they follow brands is for deals and discounts. And only 6% follow brands just because they really like them and are passionate about them. <laughs> so I would say for me, that's totally true. I don't, I don't, I, I don't find myself following a brand because... They're awesome, and I want to, you know, I'm not, they're a brand. Um, unless there are brands that have a real distinct personality, and they are few and far between, mostly it's because I know if I follow them, I'll know about the sale first, or I'll get a coupon mailed to me, or I'll get some kind of a deal. But that brings us back to why, then, do real parents read blogs? Because we all know there's, I don't know, I'm sure in this room, there's deal bloggers, there's coupon bloggers. That's a very different thing than, I think, a lot of the blogging that gets talked about here, which is more substantial writing, sometimes review-based, but a lot of experiential writing, um, which may or may not incorporate sponsored content into your post. So how do you, knowing that, knowing that you have all these people who really are looking for deals, not necessarily looking for your fabulous experience with your new cake tin Amy that you built a 17 foot high birthday cake for your son with <laughs> how do you balance that too you know to to not become a deal blog if that's not what you want to be and still engage readers I mean, it, it all just comes back to writing about things that you're interested in. If I'm writing about something that I use every day and, and that I love, and then I stick a coupon on the end, you know, nobody's going to think that that's weird. They'll probably be glad that you have a coupon. Yeah, yeah, that, that they can bonus. save some money on it. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, you know, anything as a parent, we're trying to give our kids experiences. And so if I get pitched about some kind of experiential learning or some type of adventure, um, again, that, that fits in my wheelhouse. Um, you know, if Britax, uh, which is a company I work with, um, is going to uh, send 
30 dad strollers so we could take a run through Central Park as part of a fitness activity. You know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I want to work on because that fits into my lifestyle. Um, and I know that I can round up a whole bunch of other dads that will be interested in something like that um, rather than, um, you know, the pitch that you get, hey, uh, dear mom blogger, you know, we have a brand new set of panties that would look perfect. And obviously this person hasn't read our blog um, and, and knows nothing about the, you know, the audience that they're trying to engage. So just trying to strike that balance. Maybe that's a dad you're missing on the blog, Lance. <laughs> and the funny thing is the trend for the last few years, you know, there are all these crazy ways that they try to get us to write about things. Um, and one of them was I would get invited to these crazy events that were all about, like, trapezes and helicopter rides and hot air balloons, a lot of flying stuff, um, where it wasn't about the product. And I don't want blog posts that I'm writing about a product to be all about the special treatment that I got. Because we all know the bloggers that just write about how special they are and how they got to do all this amazing stuff, and it's really nauseating to read. And so I, I, I turn those down. You know, like that's, that doesn't have any value for me. I want to see people write about the product. I don't want to read about this fabulous superstar personality. All right, I'm going to throw this to Andrea, who's been awfully quiet. Um, because Andrea was actually a real journalist, um, not to insult all of us in the room, but Andrea came from ABC News. Andrea was my editor at Mashable. There is a whole other line of ethics, I think, um, that when Andrea first came into the space, she was like stunned at the press trips and stunned. At the, she was like, I can't go on that trip. That would not ethically be allowed. Um, and I've been pushing her. I'm like, yes, it is. Go ahead. Um, so <laughs> now it's OK. Go ahead. Um, but I am interested, Andrea, because you've sort of seen the evolution of this on how influence is working online. And you still are writing for um, not blogs, you know, for real reputable um, sites that have strict ethical guidelines and journalistic guidelines. And I'm interested on your take on this idea of influence and the sponsored content. You know, it's, it's, been, a fa it's been a fascinating ride, I have to tell you. And, and Rebecca is so correct in that, you know, all of these trips that I used to get offered when I was at ABC, it was like, are you kidding? I mean, there's no way I can do this. And when I uh, stopped working at Mashable and was no longer bound by these guidelines of what I could and couldn't accept, I thought, wow, I can do one of these. And so it's, it's, it's been an incredible ride. I've done a few, not many, but, but you know, thank you for the prodding. Um, but I, I just, you know, what Amy says is so true because I now go to some of these events I won't mention the specific company, but the product was kind of like the after show. It was shoved in a corner, and I could—I barely even knew that that was the product they were launching. And there was a room of 40, 50 journalists there who were getting galaxy blue eyeshadow applied and galaxy blue nail polish. And well, now we know the brands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It was just, it was the theme, and I, I couldn't imagine what I might go back and write about. You know, it, it took forever to get around to the actual product, which I still don't know that I'm going to write about. But, so it, it's interesting. The whole influencer thing, and of course people do want to buy my influence now, and it's, it's a very 
um, kind of fine line that I walk when I think about that. Do I want to work with this company? And I think it really comes down to do I believe in the company? And the bottom line is there are a number of companies I believe in that I'm perfectly willing to work with and speak about. And um, one of the things we're talking about with where do moms get information. So I'm in a book group um, with nine women who know nothing about technology. Like literally they'll come to me. I'm sorry guys, I love you, but I have to say this. They'll come to me with their iPhone and say, can you download this app for me? I just got my son's hand-me-down phone and I'm astonished. And so they come to me for their advice. What app should, now that they get it a little more, you know, what app should I use? What program should I buy? What laptop should I get? Um, and so I think when you talk about influence, whether it's paid influence or not paid influence, it's really about are you an authentic person? Do you have a really, um, an opinion that's valuable? And by that I mean, is it knowledgeable? Is it reputable? Um, do you have strong convictions and do you believe in it? And I think that's really all you need. So if you are doing sponsored posts, that's great. And great for you for making a living that way. And I think as long as you can convey what you feel about the product or the company in a way that's relatable, that's fabulous. So it's, it's really been an interesting, did I answer your question? Yes, and on that note, because okay. it was perfect, it was about sponsors, we're going to take a break for our first sponsor. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk about topic two, which is an article that was in the Washington Post last week all about how moms are winning the internet. We'll be right back. So this week we have our returning sponsor, Plated.com, which, let's face it, we love. I mean, yeah. I don't even like to say it because it sounds so endorsey, but <laughs> Amy and I are now paying customers for Plated.com. So here's the deal. Plated is for busy people who love cooking fresh, exciting new dishes, but don't have time to drive all over town searching for chef quality ingredients. And with Plated, you don't have to. Here's how it works. You go to Plated.com slash parenting. Choose from amazing chef-designed recipes each week. You'll find easy-to-prepare selections. They fit everyone's taste. Seriously, there's there are enough choices. I don't care how picky your significant other, your kid is, everyone can find something. And I suggest involving your children because I find if you let them help choose, they will eat it. So let them pick. Uh, the culinary pros at Plated fill a refrigerated box with the perfect pre-portioned ingredients for your dinner so nothing is wasted. You will still be the chef. You will still chop. You will still add. You will still mix. But they, everything comes perfectly pre-portioned for you so you have no waste. It's delivered to your door. Fresh meat, poultry, fish, farm fresh veggies, spices. Seriously, they have these cute little spice packs. Even mm -hmm. sugar. Like yeah. <laughs> something had sugar. It had like a teeny little thing of sugar in it. Um, nothing's wasted. Everything's there. And it's on the date you choose, which I also love. Like this week I moved mine to Tuesday because I thought, you know what? On Monday I'm like exhausted from the weekend still and I don't want to cook on Monday. Yeah. So I moved mine to Although Tuesday. Although you don't have to do it on the day it comes. It's good for five days. It is good for five days. But I feel the pressure. I feel the <laughs> pressure when it comes to get started. Uh, no worries if you're not home. It keeps everything fresh until midnight on the day it arrives. And it really does. I don't have a doorman. I don't have one of those buildings. I'm not in the suburbs. I can stick it in my fridge in the garage. So it totally stayed fresh and fabulous. Or you can be like me who just forgot to unpack it yesterday for about 10 hours <laughs> and the fish was still frozen. Frozen. Really frozen. Yeah. Actually, when you're going to cook it, know that. Um, <laughs> so, and then you get chef quality meals that you can prepare in 30 minutes or less. So, seriously, that's the same amount of time it would take you to have to call and wait for delivery. 
So don't do that. Just you can make it yourself. You can feel better about it. It has the nutritional ingredients listed. It has the method of preparation listed, which I think I've mentioned before. My kitchen is like 8,000 degrees. So I am a stovetop only during the summer girl and that they will tell you. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to plated.com slash parenting. Go right now. Get two meals free. I mean, seriously, two meals free. That's a so lot. So dinner on them. That's what it is. Dinner on them. You're going to get two meals free. It's plated.com slash parenting. Plated.com slash parenting. Can you, do you know what it is at this point? Plated.com slash uh, yes. Just go. Get two meals free. Who wouldn't get two meals free? I don't get it. Just go. Try it. Tell us how you liked it. Tell us what you made. That's what I want. I like to see what everyone makes. I want to see pictures. I like pictures too. And so far, everything I've made looks like the picture it looks like a restaurant it, it's it, beautiful because it, it has the garnish and the thing yeah. it has like the little things it has the top. stuff that i don't bother doing when i'm just cooking totally on my own. yeah like the fresh parsley at the end right. sprinkled on top <laughs> right because beautiful. i have to buy a whole giant package to get a little sprinkle of parsley right. but plated sends you the little sprinkle of parsley i know it did give me perfectly wrapped up basil the other day <laughs> okay you guys you're too much i'm gonna have to try this i'm going to plated.com slash parenting and i'm gonna try my two meals for okay free. do it so let us know what you think let us know what you made send us pictures we love it plated.com plated.com p-l-a-t-e-d.com slash parenting talking tech apps entertainment and issues around parenting the digital generation this is parenting bites with rebecca levy Okay, we are back with topic two. We're still here at Type A NYC Bootcamp live. Everybody make some noise. Okay. <laughs> um, so topic two was an article that came out this week in the Washington Post that said how moms won the internet and what that means for the rest of us. And um, the gist of the article, because I don't know how many of you in this room read it, was that all of these new sites are coming up, and many of us have seen them, and um, I'm just going to say that they're mostly run by men, that are being created to purposefully create mom content that gets shared, meaning cute pictures of babies, dogs, um, uplifting, think upworthy. Um, They're sort of repackagers of other people's content, but they have figured out this magic formula on how to get moms. And one of these sites was a site called Little Things. And basically the content corrector, this is the the content director's quote, and I don't know how old she is. I might say in the article, I'm going to pretend she's 12, but she's probably like 24. Um, But she said, all of our writers have sources, of course, said Maya McCann, with a sigh, like the verbal equivalent of a shrug. But I always tell writers to go to Facebook, and you know, look at their moms. So that's where this girl is telling all of her writers to go find content, is to look at what their moms are sharing on Facebook. Um, And Viral Nova, which is a content farm that just sold last week for $100 million, the founder, Scott DeLong, told his writers to think like 40 or 45-year-old women. Because that is the demographic that is sharing the most. It is not millennials. Um, it is actually moms who are driving virality. Which means, I mean, awesome for everyone in this room. You're driving virality, I guess. But seemingly for other people um, who have learned to repackage mom content in a way that is incredibly successful um, and a little cynical, I think. But these are not mom blogs that are getting... Um, you know, a hundred million dollars as a tip for being bought for creating virality for moms. This is a purposeful content farm. What do we think of that? <laughs> I have pretty much no problem with that. I think that in a world where youth is king, 
and where every marketing initiative is for 20-somethings and every fashion magazine and every everything is geared towards youth is the only thing that matters, I think it's great that they're that even if they're they're not illegally mining content, they're sharing other they're people's not. content that and they're targeting us. So and they're happy to get us and they're finally recognizing that women in that age demographic matter to them and are important and can help their brands and that can only be good for women in that age demographic. Or they are calling it inspirational porn. <laughs> That's what they're calling it. You know, are are those cats who play the piano being exploited on YouTube, you know, it's, it's what it's, people want to see. And if it's, that's what's women, if they're giving women what they want, if they're giving this particular audience of women what they want, and thereby making that audience of women attractive to advertisers, that makes advertisers sit up and notice what matters to these women, what matters to people who are not 22. I think that's a good thing. But, but are they giving these women what they want, or are they taking what these women organically feel and share and trying to emulate that and, and turn it into content for women? I'm not, I'm not really sure of the, of the value proposition for someone, you know, for a mom who's already on Facebook who's sharing, who gets it, um, and who's getting content from other people she knows. What value does this new content that's coming from maybe a, you know, 25, 28-year-old um, to try to appeal to them. I don't know, Lance, come on, where are the dads? The dad's <laughs> lost, the mom's won. <laughs> We've always been the forgotten side of blogging. <laughs> the, uh, seven years ago when I started my blog, there was maybe a handful of, of other dad blogs I used to read. Now it's, now there's two um, <laughs> it's amazing. There's, there's thousands of dad bloggers. We're, I'm in a dad blogger group. There's 1,100 guys in there right now who all write, not all... Um, big, well-known um, writers, but you know this is this is something that's becoming more prevalent. Is dads are wanting to write about all aspects of fatherhood. What um, what we're faced is definitely a microcosm of what you're talking about here. City Dads Group is a group dad blog. We take voices of dads um, from all walks of life, and guys who work full time, guys who are at home dads, gay dads. Um, guys who are single dads, and we take these voices and we put them together. So um, we try to put out a voice that not only tries to reach men, um, not only reach dads, but those who love us. And so we're kind of always walking that fine line between what we're about to publish, is this also going to tap into, we want the significant other, we want the mom to be reading this too, so she shares it with her husband. What do you find that your sort of heartwarming dad stories are your best performing stories? I'd like to say that they are, uh, but I would say that the ones that have the most edge, um, the ones that have the titles that are clickbait, the listicles um, seem to be the most popular. The most um, shared or just the most uh, The most shared, the most commented on. Uh, you know, these days the heartwarming story that takes place only in the month of June for Father's Day, you know, that's, that's, that's not relevant anymore. The, the stories on fatherhood are happening um, outside of the month of June, which, to be honest, I think is incredibly refreshing that dad stories are now beyond the Super Bowl and Father's Day. Um, each year, people in the blogosphere keep, you know, saying, hey, it's going to be the year of the dad. It's 2015. Um, you know, it's a dad who can change diapers, a dad who can feed his baby a bottle. 
um, and a dad who can uh, go to a PTA meeting. You know, is that the big story anymore? It's not. You know, that was what it was like 10 years ago, but we're actually scratching deeper issues about paternity leave, about work-life balance, the struggles that dads are having the same problems um, as women, as moms, um, that they had decades ago. And it's, it's so nice to see these stories surfacing, not just on blogs, but in major national media stories. And do you think marketers are looking at dads the same way they're looking at moms? Because obviously, I mean, these content farms, this is about moms. These sites are being created specifically for moms. I would say that brands are starting to embrace a new confidence in marketing and working with dads. Um, I would say that beyond the products and services that some of these brands are offering, I'm most intrigued by the messaging behind some of the brands out there. Um, a brand I absolutely love working with is Dove Men Plus Care, not because their products are great, they're good, but <laughs> I love that they care about the portrayal of men and propelling us forward as men who are comfortable in their own skin. And so they create these experiences and this messaging that really puts dad kind of on an equal playing field with um, what we've always seen in advertising and marketing with moms. It's definitely an interesting trend. I mean, I think moms, and certainly mom bloggers, have probably been told over and over that moms are the driver of consumer decisions. Moms, right? We've, I mean, everyone in this room has seen those stats on the power of moms and all of that. I don't think this turn, though, of these websites being created specifically with this idea of what a middle America, middle-aged mom wants to share has ever really come up. It's always been about brands um, and about getting people to buy stuff. This is all about getting moms to share content for the sake of sharing content, which is different. I, I, I suddenly feel dirty for liking to watch kittens play the piano. I, you know, like I, I don't like being part of like an, un, an, an unknowing part of helping somebody else make hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> I, I don't like it. I, I think that um, I don't know how that's empowering us. I don't, I don't get how that's empowering us. In terms of seeing your content, but it's not your content. So one of the things they're saying is that cute doesn't cut it anymore. It can't, one of the quotes was that, oh, you can't have a picture of a bunny eating a raspberry unless it's a rescue bunny. That like there's, there's something about um, that it has to be heartwarming. And maybe Upworthy sort of started this. Um, that there, people like to share this heartwarming stuff and it has specifically resonated with moms and they have found a way to twist this content in ways that continually has that sort of message underneath. Well, to answer your question about you don't see why it's helping us, I don't think it helps us to, to type moms that, oh, all Midwestern moms between 35 and 45 want to watch rescue bunnies eating raspberries. I think that... What it might be the beginning of is companies recognize that there's value in targeting these moms, that there's value in what they find interesting and in what they find. It doesn't mean that they're right, that it's only insipid bunny videos that we care about, but at least they're starting to focus on, huh, there's this other audience out there of middle-aged women who have power and who have influence, and it's not just 22-year-olds who are fickle are going to change their minds. It's... It's also a whole other demographic that they had been really ignoring. It does say in this article that they call middle-aged, middle America mothers the mainstream Internet's new tastemakers, which is 
probably great. Of course, there'll be an article next week on how it's all millennials, but um, it does... I don't know. I, I almost feel like it has happened because of mom blogging, that so many mom blogs have become so big and so popular, and it's become such a pervasive part of online content that actually, in some ways, it's a compliment that all of these other sites have realized that there is a huge mom audience. There is a really important mom audience um, that is looking to share content that resonates. They're just kind of reducing that to the most basic form of what would resonate. So I don't know, good or bad. I don't know. But interesting to me. I mean, interesting to see how that would grow. Unfortunately, they're hiring all 24-year-old acting students to write all the articles, according to this, and they're telling them to pretend to get in the headspace of a 35-year-old mother in Cleveland of two children. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of some of these big PR companies that are taking these kids fresh out of college who are really, really intelligent people and giving them a new product or campaign in the parenting space where these people have no parenting experience. Right. And they're coming up with these brainstorm, like these great ideas, like, hey, wouldn't it be amazing to create an ad campaign you know, that, that we can sell the, you know, the product this way? And then all the people in the boardroom, none of these people are parents. So they haven't really sourced with real parents about how this might be taken, how it might be received by your user. Right. We have, we have clients who come to us wanting to do events for children at 7 o'clock at night. Um, you know, and it, to the 24-year-old PR person, that sounded like yeah. a great idea. It's after work at 7 o'clock at night. I'm like, that's bedtime. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it is careful. The, it's hard. It's hard to actually pretend you're a parent or a middle-aged mom if you're actually a 24-year-old recent grad from NYU. Um, but they seem to be pulling it off. We're going to... Now take our next break, and when we come back, we're going to do live Q&A from the audience. Hey, everyone. We have something special going on. We want to spread the word about Parenting Bites, and we hope you do, too. So we have decided to do a giveaway. Um, this is, if you've never entered a social media giveaway, it's super easy to do. We're utilizing Facebook, and Amy is going to explain all the details on what you can win, which is super cool, and how to enter. Yes, and um, we've got two really great prizes for this. The first one is a Harmony Home Control Remote System. Um, it's amazing. It controls all of your home entertainment stuff, plus things like um, hue lights, and if you have a Nest thermostat, all of that that really cool home automation stuff. Um, and then the second prize is an iExpand flash drive, the 128 gig model, which is amazing. From SanDisk. Uh, from SanDisk, yeah. Um, it's it's a really expensive little, little piece of equipment. Um, and what it does is it can take all of the pictures and videos off of your iPhone to make room for new pictures and videos. Um, so we'd really like to thank both of those companies for giving us those prizes to give to you, Logitech and SanDisk. And you can enter by going to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash parentingbytes with a Y. And if you go to the giveaways tab, you'll see the giveaway right there. It's really easy to enter and you can enter every day. It's running throughout the entire month of August. So good luck. Ooh, every day. Yes. <laughs> Rack up those entries. That's share, right. share, share. Great. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. All right, so we're back, and we're going to do a live Q&A with our audience. And first up... Hi, I'm Cecily. Blog at CecilyK.com. Um, my question is, I just kind of wanted to touch more about that virility thing. 
about the repackaging. And here's my objection as the content creator. I've gone viral like five times in my decade plus, and there is zero value in it for me. There's no value whatsoever. There's no long-term gain in readership. There's no long-term ad dollars. There's nothing but, and that's why I hate like the little kids site or little kid things. What's it called? Little kid things, something like that. Little Little things where they take your content, repackage it, and then sit back and count the ad dollars while you're like, and the same with Upworthy. I mean, I know the people who run that pizza place that does slices for the homeless, and it has been nothing but a headache for them, the Upworthy video. So, I mean, virality, don't chase it, man. It's not worth it. We found the, the same thing. We actually, um, and Nancy, we tell this story all the time, but we had a big story about us at the front page of the Wall Street Journal about kids' views right when we launched, like three months after launch. And we were so excited, and we thought, oh, my God, it's going to blow up. And my 8-year-old daughter came into my bedroom and said, I don't know why you're so excited. Kids don't read the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> And she was like 100% right, right? Um, and I think everyone on this panel has had that moment where they've had a post go viral um, or an image go viral and sort of sat back and you, you have that moment of glory, like, woohoo, 40,000 shares on that. And then you're like, yeah, what? That did absolutely no, nothing to the bottom line. Um, how do you guys deal with when you had a post go really big and sort of the attention it got you, and then did, were you able to turn it into something else? Um, I, had, I had a post not on my own site, which is very sadly neglected because of kids' views, but on another site that I write for um, is, had over 100,000 shares. And did it do anything for me? No, but I get to say I had a post that had 100,000 shares. And I got paid for the post, um, and it's... I, I do think it depends on the site. I think it depends on where you are. It can increase your visibility. It does give you a little more credibility when you go out to pitch other stories uh, to other venues to say, look, I wrote this one, it had 100,000 shares. I wrote this one, it had 54,000 shares. I wrote, you know, so it's not, it's not a direct, like, I got all these shares and therefore I made X dollars. And I totally agree with Cecily about why should they be breaking in the money off your content because they repackaged it. That seems like it shouldn't even be legal. But if you're just writing for a post and your post goes viral, it, it does lend a legitimacy to look what I can do. It's not that you can promise that for another brand if you get a sponsored post, but at least you have it to show in your portfolio. Hi, um, my name is Nancy Smith. I am a actually brand person, not a blogger, so you don't have to follow me. Um, <laughs> but I, I, it's, And it's a basic parent question because I have a five-year-old daughter who is obsessed with these egg videos. Okay, and 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 expects that every day I'm going to come home with a massive egg in my backyard and have 700 free toys for her to open. Um, and I'm just curious. If I I've talked to some other moms on the playground kind of thing, and they they run into this too. So I don't know if you have any advice for us. How how do you? It's like it's like Christmas ads every day. How do I get her to stop watching them or something? I don't even know. Um, I'm going to actually recommend the YouTube Kids app, and it will not get her to stop watching them. But at least you will know that she's in the kid space of YouTube while she's watching. (laughs) Other than that, but I'm going to throw it out here. Oh, my God. If the question is, how do you get a kid to stop watching the same video? If anyone figures that out, please... (laughs) Tell us. <laughs> yeah, no idea. There Anybody? are some really good um, screen time management apps 
out there. Um, and, you know, and I actually also really like Kindle Free Time on the Kindle Fire, which allows you to not only set how long they can be on, but what they can be doing. So they can only watch movies for one hour, and, and they, but they, maybe they could read a book for three hours. And you can actually get that granular. I am totally evil in my home. I set it at the router level. I have a Cisco <laughs> router where you can set the Wi-Fi time by device. So I can have my daughter's Wi-Fi go off at 8 p.m. when they should be going to bed, and they can't even, like, text their friends at the point. Um, but mine stays on. Um, so I can watch Netflix. <laughs> but I could also have that turn off if I actually want to, like, talk to my husband and, and be people again. Um, we can also all have our, all our Wi-Fi shut off. But I re- highly recommend doing that um, and telling your kid you're doing that because I do think that at the end of the day, your kid doesn't pay the Wi-Fi bill. So we are the ones allowing our kids, right, to endlessly watch these things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with watching egg videos. You know, I watched my share of silver spoons and different strokes and it's the same crap. So, you know, I think, you know, give yourself a break and let her watch egg videos. But um, I, would, I would definitely set those screen time limits and tell your kid why you're doing it and then use extra screen time as a reward. I have to say I also set my limits at the router level, only I totally lie. I'm like, wow, you're, you can't get on the internet? Really? That's so incredible. Wow. No, I totally, totally lie. Hi, I'm Christy Ritzking from uh, Reinvention Girl and Jersey Moms blog. And I have a parenting question, too. Um, Being in this industry, and clearly I love it, and Rebecca knows I love television, too, so I have a hard time with those screen limits as well. But I'm wondering how you guys navigate uh, your kids now. And mine are a little older, so five, I, I can't. I can still shut off the wireless, but it's not that simple anymore. And they're all wanting to get into the social media space. And I don't necessarily not want them to, but we know the back end and how ugly it can get. So how are you navigating that with older kids? Yeah, so I, my kids are 14 and 11, and the 11-year-old wants to be a Disney star and thinks that she can do that through YouTube and blogging and all that stuff. And the way that I nipped that in the bud was I told her that was fine. She could try that, but she had to learn how to do all the back end stuff. I wasn't going to edit her stupid videos. I wasn't going to upload them. I wasn't going to promote them. She had to learn how to do that stuff. So she was interested for about 15 minutes. But I will just speak to um, the dealing with younger kids in social media and then how it changes when they get older. Because I think that what most people in this room probably know, but a lot of the general listening people won't, is that uh, it isn't just, someone just argued with me about this yesterday on the street, telling me I was wrong, but I am not wrong. KidsViews is a COPPA compliance site. COPPA is the Children's Online Privacy and Protection Act. It's designed to uh, protect children's privacy and information online. Um, Sites that are compliant with COPPA are very rigorously watched by the FTC, and it is a law. It is not, it is federal regulation. The kids under the age of 13 cannot have a YouTube account, cannot have a Gmail, cannot have uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all of it. It's actually legal. This is where it gets a little, you make your own parenting decision. It does not criminalize your child to have these things. It criminalizes the company that takes their accounts knowingly. Um, Facebook and YouTube, for instance, claim to shut down 10,000 accounts a week for kids being underage because they are liable for taking that information knowingly. You can fudge that a little with your kids and just tell them it's illegal. You don't have to go into the details if they're really bugging you and they're not old enough. But when they are 13, you do 
I mean, you don't have to, but it's the, it is the norm in our society now that kids are going to start when they're in their teenage years being on social media. And for us as um, the owners of a site that wants kids to go online, we want them to do that. But I also think it's important for them to do that with the knowledge of what can go wrong. The internet can be a wonderful place, and I do think it mostly is for kids as well. But... I don't like the term digital native because then it assumes that these kids understand how to navigate that space because they're native to it after all. In fact, and Dana Boyd says this in her really good book that I recommend to everyone called It's Complicated, that they're actually digital naives and you need to teach them. You need to teach them how to navigate the space because they're going to be in it. It's going to happen. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you on this one. My son is older and thankfully I didn't have to navigate Facebook and social media when he was younger. Um, but I, but I completely agree with you because, you know, I always liken it to you teach your child how to cross the street. You, you set the rules. You say you don't cross on the red light. You, you know, have to hold my hand until you're five or whatever it is, but you have rules. Um, exactly. You teach your kid how to drive a car. There's rules. Um, technology is a new part of our life that's here to stay, even though many, many people keep telling me they think it's just going to pass. <laughs> they don't have to learn it because it'll, it'll fade out. But it's here, and kids know it, and they want to be a part of it. And I think that it's just like anything else that you do. You need to sit down and talk to your child. You need to set rules. You need to set expectations. You need to set limitations. And you need to say, you know, here are the positives. Here are the negatives. Here's what you need to know. Whether it's screen time, whether it's being on Facebook, whether it's, you know, um, somebody being mean to them on Facebook or on Instagram, and, and certainly on our podcast, we've discussed this many times, what it's like when a girl sees that everyone in her class has been invited to a party on Instagram and they aren't. You know, it's the same as real life. So it's a conversation that you're going to have with your kids, whether it's taking place digitally or in normal life. And we have a next question. My name's Christina Gleason from wellinthishouse.com. And I have a 10-year-old son with Asperger's, and um, he loves his computer. He wants to be a video game designer, and he's a little addicted to being online, as am I. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering if an argument could be made for you know certain kids who have certain goals in their lives for not limiting screen time. Yeah, I, I think that a huge distinction for all kids has to be made. I, I hate just calling it screen time. I really do because um, there's so many different things that you're doing with that screen. And I think that if a kid is sitting there, you know, or, or an adult mindlessly scrolling through Facebook for hours, that's so much different than um, learning how to code or, you know, doing homework or reading. So I, I really think that everybody should stop thinking about it just as screen time um, because you should look at what they're doing and if you're going to portion it out separate the educational stuff from the entertainment stuff you know I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a kid sitting there for four hours and learning how to code that's awesome Okay. Uh, my name is Jennifer Fong of jenfongspeaks.com. And my question relates to online gaming and the social aspect of that, because I feel like I have a handle on the social networks. And my kids, are, I have two preteens and one teenager. And how do you manage allowing them to play online with their friends while at the same time making sure they're safe? I mean, we have some rules, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. 
We're, are, are we all scared to take this? No, I feel like... <laughs> that is the one thing my son did. I'll never forget coming home, and he had this headset on, and he was playing his Xbox, and he was talking in the living room, and I was like, who are you talking to? Oh, I'm talking to these guys. One lives here, one lives here. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, you're talking to people I don't know. Um, and it's a scary thing. It's a really scary thing. Um, the, the thing is, is that, you know, they meet people in real life, of course, and you don't know who they are. Um, most of the people in my experience that my son has played online games with, and still, he's 25 now, and he still plays online video games, um, I've never, ever, ever heard about a bad experience. Usually if there's someone who gets out of control or is a little too crazy, they just block the kid, and they can't play with him anymore. And they kind of wind up, like in school, making a little click, because they, they just want to play. And so they want the good players. And so they wind up... Even though they don't know each other in real life, they're going after certain players each and every time and getting them on their team. And to me, it feels just like the school thing where you meet friends and you play certain games with this one and certain games with this one. That said, it's a scary proposition having your kid just talk to someone you have no idea who or where they are. Um, so it's definitely worth a number of conversations. It's definitely worth explaining what could go wrong um, and why you're concerned. But I have to say, in my experience so far, it's been um, a positive thing for him. There's a really basic conversation to have with your kids, which is something we see on Kids Views almost every day. We have a kid submit a video that says, if you liked my video, here's my address. Send me a letter. <laughs> or here's my, here's text me at 333, or they're wearing the name of their school on their shirt. We catch all that, right? Because we're moderating all the videos. Had that kid made that video on YouTube? That, there it is, 222 Cherry Tree Lane, like, tell me you loved my video. Um, before your kids, first of all, Xbox has great, and same with PlayStation, they have really good parental controls. So before you allow that open gaming, you can go into those controls and have that conversation with your kid about the information they should and shouldn't be sharing online. Your address and phone number is like number one thing, and everyone thinks their kid knows that, and they really don't. Kids are so um, trusting and optimistic. They're, they're both, and we see this particularly under 13. They are incredibly trusting, and they really do feel like those people are their friends. There's no differentiation between online and offline friends for kids. So that conversation can't be had enough um, I don't know if there's a transcript option because we haven't gotten that much into online gaming. I don't think there is where you could kind of see the conversations your kid's having. But be in the room with them um, or put your tattletale sibling <laughs> in the room with them, somebody in the room with them. But it, you just can't have that conversation enough. And, and that is something that maybe needs to be earned, that right to like game with strangers online. That's, it's a really, I think, a really heavy thing because you're not hearing that other side of the conversation because they're wearing those headsets. It's even weirder because of that. My daughter came to me when she was too young to be allowed to play any of those things, and she was very upset. Someone had said something to her online that really upset her. And I said, what did they say? And she said, I was at a virtual dance at a virtual nightclub, and a man in leather pants asked me to take my top off, which she couldn't do anyway, her virtual self. But I said to her, this is a very valuable life lesson for you. Never trust a man in leather pants. <laughs> Online or off. <laughs> and that's it for us this week. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash parentingbites. On Twitter at hashtag parentingbites. Tweet us your issues, your questions, your dilemmas of the week. Um, check us out on Facebook for all the links to everything we talked about today. 
And we are on iTunes, of course, at Parenting Bites. Subscribe, rate us, review us, do all those things to help us get found in iTunes. And, of course, at Play.it, where you can find Parenting Bites and all of the other CBS podcasts. Till next week. Bye. Bye.